Well, good afternoon and welcome to Your DIY Health here on the Eurofolk Radio Network. I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Bram, retired. You can call me Sarge. It is Thursday, September 1st, 2022, and this program is normally meant to deal with nutrition, but today, as always on Thursdays, we're going to be talking history, especially around the founding era. I will say before we get started, check out the website, yourdiyhealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R-D-I-Y, like do-it-yourself, health, H-E-A-L-T-H, yourdiyhealth.com. Have fun with all the information there. If you have any questions, hit the Contact Me button and uh, check out the Radio Shows tab. The uh, archive page is right at the top. Almost 900 shows there now, and uh, you can share them via email and social media. They're annotated as what we talked about and all that good stuff. So have fun with everything. And with that, I'm going to go right to the phone, or right to our guest, Mike Gaddy. And Mike, it looks like uh, you fall victim to the Skype updates, haven't you? Uh, I have, and <laughs> I somehow dropped our fellow buddies here, and I'm trying to figure out how to get Cal and DW back. Yeah. you have a clue? Um, you should have an add button, um, I think down in the, uh, lower right hand corner, uh, there's three vertical dots. And if you click on those, um, one of the things is to add participants and you should be able to use that to bring them back in. Hopefully. Oh, well, mine says, take a snapshot, change the background, turn off incoming video, hold a call and audio and video settings. Hmm. That's all I get when I hit that. That's weird. Well, that's the difference between Mac and PC, I guess. Their versions yep. are different. There's got to yeah, be somewhere, either that or a little plus button or something. Yeah, um, I'm looking. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, I'll find something. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. First day with my new brain. <laughs> I've had that trouble myself. I may be able to help ourselves here. Cool. Let me see. Yeah, every well, time uh, Skype changes something, they follow it all up. And Typical oh Microsoft. Boy. Do they ever? They can't they leave well enough alone. They just got to be constantly screwing around with things. And well, you know, somebody's got to have a job, Jim. Yeah, and that's how they it's just, that's their version of uh, government bureaucracy. bureaucracy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Say that three times fast. Yeah, uh, no, that would, then I would be running around like a head with my chicken cut off. Well, then you'd be feeling like me. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, oh, wow. Well, I'm trying to make this work here. Let's see. I'll probably have to do it one at a time. Let me bring Cal in here. I think he's ready to go. Cool. Let's, uh, what kind of chicken? Uh-oh. Hey, Robert's hey, coming Robert. in. Knock it off, Robert. <laughs> go play in traffic. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Go somewhere and check the air in your wheelbarrow tire. Uh <laughs> Let me see. What what's going on here? Why can't I call him? That's weird. And I don't have him in my uh uh Do you have do you have yet. DW? Uh no, I don't. I was just looking cuz I thought maybe I did, but um DW could probably come in on the uh, on the regular board, the Jitsi board. Um of course, we have to get that word to him cuz he's probably waiting for a Skype call. Uh, yeah, well, let me see. I'm calling Cal stream. right now. Cal, you with us? I'm here. Hey, All right. welcome, Cal. All right, hang on now. Let me see if I can get hey, the clay, see if I can get the DW. <laughs> okay. All right. We, you know, we might have this figured out by uh, noon tomorrow. Yeah. Hey, you know, make for an interesting show as usual. Yeah, my <laughs> uh, my bumper music got followed up. Uh, our server went down last week, and when they brought the new one online with some new software. 
uh, it will only allow me to plug in one hey. thing. Hey, there's DW. I I came. Yep, he came in on the chat. I, on the I came in board. on the Jitsi board. So that'll work. Well, you you booger! I just tried to call you. <laughs> he was hey, listening hey. to live stream. I think he figured, hey, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, hey, uh, this was a master plan. Jim and I didn't want you guys on anyway. Uh, so, well, uh, no. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I like these guys. <laughs> no, we're just kidding. We're just kidding. Come on. You know, uh, if, we can't have, if we can't have fun as messed up as this country is, if you can't have fun, there it's going to be a long, long couple of years. There you go. It's going to be tough. And cold uh, this winter. <laughs> yeah, at least. Yeah. So anyway, right, well, it looks like the band's back together here, so uh, I'll let you take over, Mike. All right, we were talking before, and I said, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do, especially when we talk about the revolutionary era or the founding era, is to bring in a lot of things that uh, we heard what they were called back, uh, you know, when Coach and other people were teaching history, but we never knew what they were. And so I wanted to kind of lead off today with what was called Shays Rebellion. And the first thing we have to do is we have to lay the groundwork so that people will understand what happened with Shays' Rebellion. Now, we have to understand the war's over, Revolutionary War's over, America allegedly wins. Of course, King George is still Prince of the United States. But we win the war on paper. So then here's the problem, is there are a lot of soldiers not officer rank, but a lot of the actual grunts who were paid in what was called uh, indenture notes or uh, IOUs would be a better uh, phrase. And they were paid with these. The war's over, but these uh, there's nobody uh, paying them and exchanging that for actual money, not on any scale. So a lot of the people, Daniel Shays uh, was an officer. He was a captain. But a lot of he and his other fellow uh, soldiers, and not only that, but the people who had supplied uh, supplies for the Revolutionary Army, who had supplied cattle, pigs, uh, maybe grain, whatever you know that they had that they could supply themselves, they had been paid in these indentures as well. So it's the war's over. And everybody's happy that, you know, now we're our own country. Everything's going pretty well. But the problem is uh, we need to make a living. These uh, common folks needed to make a living. They weren't the wealthy aristocracy in the cities. They needed to go out. They had been gone fighting a war for some of them for years. They needed to get home. They needed to get their families straightened up. They needed to get things going. And they've got these indentures, but they can't wait. And so they begin to sell these indentures. You know, sometimes for what today would be called 10 to 15 cents on the dollar. And they didn't care. They just wanted to get some money to buy some, uh, you know, some mules or some seed or whatever they needed to get uh, their families going. So they sold them. But the problem was, is that the people who were buying these up were speculators. And they were from the wealthy aristocracy in the city of Boston and in several other places. So suddenly, then, in the state government of Massachusetts, to pay the to buy these indentures from the people who now hold them at face value, well, 
we've got to create a tax structure. We've got to tax people to pay these people off. Well, who are they taxing? They're taxing the people who sold them for 10 cents on the dollar. And so these people begin to figure out what's going on. Okay, well, somebody came in and bought our stuff at 10 cents on the dollar, 15 cents on the dollar, and now we're having to pay taxes to pay off these speculators. And we are told by our state government that if we can't come up with the money, one of two things will happen. Number one, if we have private property, it'll all be seized and sold to pay these taxes. Number two, if you don't have any property, you'll go to debtor's prison. So these things had to be held in a legal manner when these people couldn't pay their taxes. But let's stop and think about what happened here for just a second, guys. The government of Massachusetts said, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send these taxes out. And we're going to put a special high tax on grain alcohol or whiskey that was being produced by some of these farmers. But at the same time, now this happened later in Pennsylvania after the Constitution, same, same dynamic. They said, okay, well, we're going to tax these guys because this is what they produce to make a living. And then the second thing we're going to do is we're going to uh, – you know, say, okay, we're not going to tax wine and other that the wealthy aristocracy drink. So the only thing we're taxing are what these Western farmers make. Well, you've just set the grounds for a huge problem because these people weren't going to take it. And as we were talking about before we came on, Jim, they said, well, okay, guess what we're going to do? What we're going to do is this. We are going to get in mass and we are going to go down to the courthouse on the days that these hearings are scheduled to take our property or to put us in debtor's prison. And we're going to surround the courthouse and we ain't going to let nobody in. And that's what they did. No acts of violence. They just said, no, we've got to stop these trials because these trials are how we're losing everything we own. And so that's what the people were doing in Shays' Rebellion. Now, wouldn't you know it that the wealthy aristocracy, the Federalists, used this as a motivation for a stronger central government? Oh, these people are revolting against the government. They're not going to pay their taxes. The state government can't collect the taxes. We need a stronger federal government. Imagine that. So that was their plan. But in western Massachusetts, taxes to pay this heavy public debt, which was now owned almost exclusively by these wealthy men in Boston and around Boston, had produced what we now call, what we just described as the Shays Rebellion. Now a new super government was emerging, as I mentioned, and carrying out on a national scale the Federalist principle of taxation, regulation, and special privilege for the benefit of the favored group. Sound anything like today, guys? Now, this was all done at the expense of those who actually produced something and those who consumed what those people were producing. 
they were the people who were being taxed. And while to acquire sufficient support, these politicians had to purchase allies among certain groups of the people, the major concentration of benefits and privileges would undoubtedly accrue to the Federalist aristocracy. Now, as part of the agreed-to division of the coming spoils, these Northern Federalists, though personally in many cases abhorring slavery in a region where it was not viable and was being abolished, they swiftly moved to protect and even encourage slavery in the other regions of the country, specifically the South, where it was very viable. In order, they did this in order to obtain support of the Southern Federalists and thus support later in the year or in that year of 1787 for the Constitution beginning in June. To these Federalist leaders, abandoning the slave to their fate was a very small price to pay for a strong central government to further markets for northern uh, merchants and shippers. Now, here's something I don't think people have really looked at this as the morality of it. Is the fact that in 1787, they had a chance to abolish slavery everywhere in that new constitution. But as some people have said, there were southern states dependent on the slaves who said, we won't join your union if you abolish slavery. So these northern aristocracy said, okay, well, all right, we'll let you have your slavery as long as we get what we want. What does that tell you about their morals? Okay, you can do that. You can have these people. You can make them slaves as long as... Sarge got muted. Pardon me? Yeah, somehow or another, my mute just kicked on automatically. Thank you, Lisa. I think it was. I appreciate it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know what happened. It just does that sometimes. It just automatically oh, it kicks on. Mind of its own. Have a mind of its own, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, you'd think this uh, stuff was set up by the uh, by Microsoft as well. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. continue. Well, anyway, I'll, I'll drop back a little bit. The northern businessmen were more than happy to write slavery into the Constitution, even when they professed that it was morally wrong, their morals surrendered to their pocketbooks. And they said, okay, yeah, well, this may be wrong. We'll abolish it in Massachusetts, but we're going to say it's okay in the Constitution because we're going to profit from it. Now, there has long been a dispute over whether the Constitution was the completion of the Revolution, the fulfillment of the spirit of the American Revolution, or whether it was a counter-revolution against that very spirit. But surely it is clear that the Constitution was profoundly counter-revolutionary. So now let's throw in a little bit of commentary here. Let's uh, we'll start off with you, uh, Cal, since you're the furthest away. Unmute, Cal. Uh, there we go. There we go. Yeah, unmute. Well, what I'm hearing is um, what happened. What's going on today happened back then. It's I'm just hearing the same story over and over again. You could change the date, place it in today, and that's exactly what's going on today. 
the wealthy aristocracy are they're more than willing to throw away everybody's liberty and rights as long as they make their money well what was it uh you know we've had we've had so many so what was it dandy don meredith used to say on monday night football hey if it works keep running it till they stop it yeah and nobody seems to want to stop it because everybody wants their 30 shekels of silver i guess hmm well, I think that's uh, you mentioned in our previous conversation. We were talking about Shays Rebellion. You mentioned some letters, source documents, ding, 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 some letters <laughs> between Washington and a couple of the generals. You want to elaborate on that a bit, Cal? Well, that's the only place I've ever really learned about Shays Rebellion was reading the letters between uh, Henry Knox and George Washington when Knox was trying to convince Washington to attend the convention in philadelphia i mean part of their conversation in letters you know and what sparked most of it was shay's rebellion and you know what they need to do there was there was a lot of fear amongst the federalists that you know these radicals you know these shayists these radicals they they wanted to reinstate what was called agrarian law and i'm still not exactly sure what agrarian law is but it, it sounds like well you know you can't have debt. I mean, once the people own the property, they own the property. It's theirs, and there's no taxation on it. There's no debt on it, and that's just uh, alluvial title. I think that's about what it, it, equate, it could equate it to. True. <laughs> and and there that, was... that, that brought on fear because, I mean, if, if we can't tax the people or their property, where are they going to get their money? I guess I guess just doing sales and trade and – you know, letting the free market take care of everything and you don't have to have taxes and, and things are just handled by committee as they always were back then. <laughs> uh, well, in one of Shay's letters, Cal, and one that I have, in one of Shay's letters, he made the profound point, which just uh, adds a uh, another uh, story onto your building that you have there. He said very explicitly that how does the government expect us to pay taxes when they seize our means of production? Exactly. Well, DW, Alabama boy, uh, jump in here and tell us tell us what we need to know. <laughs> oh, that's a loaded gun. Uh, well, there's just uh, like how as as you pointed out, and <clears throat> Cal expanded on, there's there's a pattern. There's a lot of moving parts. Uh, there's repetition. Uh, some of the more obvious things that start to express themselves is uh, the, the consistency in in human nature is is one point, and uh, by by teasing these threads out with the source doc documents and, and their own words in the history we we uh if we're being objective about it anyway we can we can start to see the uh, similarities in character and, and motivations that we live in our own time instead of uh, ascribing these uh these mythical um tributes to uh historical demigods that's that's one part of it. I think that's a very important part of it is to uh, deal with their 
the historical mythologies and put them in proper context so that we were not captured by uh, this, uh, yeah, them being demigods, something, something greater than what they were. Uh, so some of the other things I find interesting um, is that the, uh, th there was during this period of time, there was this uh, group of guys known as the Order of the Cincinnati. Oh, yes. Uh, that were the commanding, the, the, high, the high military officials of rank uh, inside of George Washington's uh, Continental Army. And, uh, you know, they're, uh, they're thinking about having their own rebellion because they want, they want the, uh, the peerage and the placement of a, of a, an acknowledged military aristocracy. Uh, this is happening at the same time, uh, for the most part, isn't it, Mike and Cal? Yeah, well, well, don't forget, they wanted lifetime pensions as well. And they wanted to yeah. tax the people to pay uh, for those lifetime pensions. So we have and, that component. Uh, we also, going on at this exact same time, we have in this uh, 1786, 85, 84, we have one Alexander Hamilton, who is being uh, frustrated, but yet contending with uh, the creation of a bank, along with Robert Morris. It isn't, isn't that true? Well, that's true. And you also have to remember in 1780, I think it's 1784, uh, after the Bank of North America basically was running into all kinds of problems, let's not forget that uh, Alexander Hamilton opened his own bank in New York, and it's still in existence today, the same bank. It's changed names a bunch of times, but that bank has prevailed since 1784, and it was a bank that was started just like the Bank of North America, and it was based on, you know, the old uh, uh, we can loan money we don't have trick. And yeah. you'll pay, us, you'll pay so, us interest on this money we don't have. So we, we have a we have pressure from the bottom, which are uh, the 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 working class, the mechanics, the farmers, the people who actually did the uh, the fighting, trying to get on with their lives, and there's no liquidity, uh, so to speak of there's no there's no currency, in in uh, distribution. They can't settle their debts. Uh, there's a pressure there. Then we have a group of people, uh, representative for better, uh, for lack of better ones. Uh, we have Robert Morris, uh, Alexander Hamilton, and the people that have invested, invested in that war, wanting returns on those investments. And then we have a military elite known as the Order of the Cincinnati that's wanting their return and in investment into perpetuity. 
that that sort of lays out a a, a very big uh, uh, sort of a, a bigger picture of the, some of the forces that were work that were driving the decisions. Uh, um, and, and at the center of all this is this this guy named George Washington, and uh, there's a crisis. There's a a, a constitutional crisis developing here, it, it appears. And uh, I'll stop here in a minute, but because uh, I think there's a lot going on there. But I will say this at some point, we come to realize that we have a group of people who see themselves as a natural aristocracy, a natural aristocracy. And it become more and more apparent to me over all these studying hundreds of years of history that these people care little about what form of government as long as they're in charge of it, which is what we're witnessing today. It's important that they, whatever form of government it is, that they're in charge of it. And as long as they can acquire that, that's their, that's their primary objective. So, uh, oh, absolutely, DW. They there. don't. Yeah. Okay, buddy. They they don't give a darn what you call the government as long as they're running it. You can call it a republic. Or you can call it a republic. You can call it a constitutional republic. You can call it a democracy. You can call it you know a, a monarch. You can call it anything you want to as long as they're running it because they don't care. And here's I think uh, is something we have to throw in, is that to be in the order of Cincinnati. You had to be what? Freemason. Oh, there we go. There we go. That was one of the requirements by Washington. You could not be unless you were a Freemason. Now, I think it's critical here that we throw in, which I threw in uh, last uh, Tuesday night on our uh, online class, I threw in a quote by what I believe to be one of the most brilliant men in America today, uh, he's getting a little long in the tooth. He's even older than me, and that's hard to imagine. But, uh, And he is uh, none other than Professor Thomas Sowell. Uh, and here is one of his quotes, and I think this one tells us so much about this, because how many times, man, if I had 10 bucks for every time somebody asked me, why do you care about this old stuff? Why do you care about what happened 200 years ago? If I had, you know, 10 bucks from every time I've heard that, I, I could uh, probably uh, invest uh, with some of these wealthy people. But anyway, Thomas Sowell, quote, one of the most important reasons for studying history is that virtually every stupid idea that is in vogue today has been tried before and proved disastrous before time and time again unquote that's why we study history that's that's why we need to know these things we need to know what happened we and, and to understand what's happening today we need to know these things and i know a lot of people you know didn't oh, history i hate it you know it bored me to death when i was in school i i don't want anything to do with it you know that kind of thing and that's okay it doesn't matter but here we are with well, Mike. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Well, I, that that sort of goes along with my new T-shirt, and 
whereas we've all heard the quote, knowledge is power. We've all heard that before, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, my, my new T-shirt says, knowledge is power. That's why you don't have any. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we probably uh, should put uh, get some kind of emblem for Jim Ram and, and trademark that booger. Uh, <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, you should say that's why you have neither. <laughs> yeah, that's why you have neither. That, that's, okay. that, that's, that's very good, too. Okay. But, uh, guys, thank you, in thank our you. lifetime, yeah, thanks for that. That's, that's great. In our lifetimes, the American Revolution, I know during mine, has been depicted by revisionist historians. Now, revisionist historian means they are bought and paid for. Uh, usually authors who got grants to write their book, and so they have to toe the line when they write it. But these revisionist historians have said this was a just totally, all of this was nothing but a struggle for independence against Great Britain on behalf of rather abstract principles of constitutional or common law. But legal principles are seldom passionately held and fought for unless they are instinctively bound up with conflicts in politics or economic reality. So here's something I don't think many people understand. The Americans of that era were not anti-British. Imagine that. And here's the other point I made in the Tuesday night class, which we're, we're kind of complimenting here today is the fact that King George III did not run England. He was the figurehead. But what was running England back then was the Bank of England and the East India Company. They owned and controlled King George, just like today the Federal Reserve owns and controls our government. There is no difference. So, but to get back to the point, the Americans were not anti-British. On the contrary, the need to declare independence did not occur early on in any of these battles. And it was only acknowledged very late and almost reluctantly by most of the people. Most of these Americans were struggling, not, were struggling for independence. And they were also struggling because of that for political and economic liberty against the mercantilism of the British Empire, which, as I said before, was the Bank of England and the East India Company. And they saw that the England was intending to put this weight, this taxation thing, right back on top of them with the Stamp Act in 1765. So, Cal, buddy, would you please explain for those who are listening, what was the difference between Shays Rebellion and the Boston Tea Party? Well, in the Boston Tea Party, they actually destroyed property when they threw tea overboard over the ships. And was it fifty thousand dollars worth of British East India tea got destroyed? And the Shays Rebellion, all they did was surround courthouses. Nobody got hurt. No property got damaged. I mean. The courthouses weren't burned down. They were still there because normally the courthouse was like a lot of times just the church of the local town. 
They just converted it into a courthouse for the day. And they just stopped the proceedings from happening. That's all the Shays Rebellion was. Uh, there was more violence on January 6th than there was at the Shays Rebellion. <laughs> That's true. Well, January, let, let's look at something. Was the uh, looking at all of this, was American independence a tax revolt? Uh, it started as a tax revolt. It, it, it was a lot of them just saw it as a violation of their rights. When you when you look at the first shot fired around the world, that shot shot heard around the world, um, those Minutemen they were protecting their rights as Englishmen to bear arms, their natural right as Englishmen to bear arms. They had the natural right to protect them and their families. Because self-defense is a natural right. They were protecting natural rights. Well, That's what where if it started. I, <laughs> what if I make this statement, then I want you and DW both to comment on it, and we'll start off with DW. What if I said, I'll make this statement, and you guys either tear it apart or tell me why it's true. The Revolutionary War was waged against taxes, prohibitions, and regulations. A whole feature of oppression. And so they fought this battle, they fought this war to free themselves from this, only to have it put right back on them again a few years later with the Constitution of 1787. DW, jump on that chicken. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I think all the evidence that would uh, actually support your, your your assertion there is uh, to be found in the grievances listed in the Declaration of Independence. Uh, right there, if you just just take them, take them line by line and read through them, you'll you'll find uh, you'll find exactly that uh, every aspect of all those grievances that they tried to address with. Uh, the uh, the court, the king's court, uh, had been uh, uh, rebuked uh, over and over and over again, starting early on, you know, uh, 20 years earlier in the House of Burgesses. So uh, I think it's interesting to point out, you made a comment earlier too, is that uh, the common, uh, well, for the most part, uh, common or... Uh, uh, gentry of uh, of the America at that time were not anti-British because uh, they did see themselves as colonial Englishmen, and they uh, they they took much uh, exception to the fact that they weren't being uh, treated as Englishmen through the law uh well dw let me try so, to let, i'm sorry let uh, me put a try to put a finer point on it and then you continue if we could this was a revolt not against england again not to be redundant but this was a revolt against the oppressive nature of mercantilism 
and the required taxes that go with it. Again, not a revolt against England. This was a revolt against the Bank of England, and it was a revolt against the East India Company, which basically controlled, which was a huge part of the uh, Bank of England. So, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, Go ahead. I mean, there's a there's a there's a very distinct parallel here that's gone on that I think uh, is cloaked, and people don't realize it until we tease it apart. The uh, the English or the British Army was was under the the financial control and and uh, direction of of the bank and the British East India Company to enforce their mercantilism. Different from today, how? Well, it's it's not, and that's what I'm trying to draw the parallel to. Is for the last hundred and some odd years, the United States uh, military and the government has been using that same uh, model of enforcement to impose the bankers and corporate mercantile model upon the rest of the world through their military uh, prowess and ability by harvesting the resources and energy of the American people. And so uh, <clears throat> there's, uh, of course, it's been, it's been uh, the, the, the narration and the propaganda, the, the propagation of the narrative has been, uh, a, a lot of people will take exception with what I've said, but uh, the, the proofs uh, speak for themselves. And so this, this is a business model that is still going on. Uh, now, the, uh, they, uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, <laughs> it's such a big idea. I, I guess I, even I have to give myself a pause there for a moment. So go ahead, Mike. Let me throw something at Cal. Cal, uh, did what if I made this statement again? Shoot me in the shoot me in the foot or shoot me in the head. Uh, if I made this statement, the Constitution of 1787 reinstituted under a different name everything that the Revolutionary War was fought to. Stop. True. Uh, there, there's no other answer. That's just a, a true statement. It was a counter-revolution to the Declaration of Independence. It was counter to uh, the, the spirit of why the revolution was fought. I mean, it wasn't so much against taxes so much as, as it was against a violation of rights and I mean part of it is you go back to 1765 the aristocracy in the House of Burgess they were willing to accept the stamp back tax well, okay we'll just pay it because well they could afford it but the common folk couldn't and Patrick Henry stood up and spoke for the common folk and they called him then, a traitor and they called him a traitor for doing so yeah but Later, they called him the voice of thunder later. I mean, it, I, I guess a lot of it just comes from what perspective one wants to look at the picture. 
Well, Cal uh, and DW, I want both of you to uh, comment on this, and I'm going to make another statement. To support the Constitution of 1787 and that uh, fallacious Bill of Rights is no different than supporting King George III, the Bank of England, and the East India Company in 1765. DW, you want to go first? Yeah. Um, well, ask, actually, uh, that's an important question. Ask me again, would you? Take, take the time to ask me that question again. Okay. All right. The Constitution of 1787 and the Bill of Rights, which people claim all kind of fealty to, including up to and in claim, up to and including claiming it was in, in, endorsed by God or inspired by God. Those people who support that Constitution are in actuality supporting the exact thing that the American Revolution was fought to free us from. Is that uh, a little bit more right. concise? Well, no, it, it was it was good the first time, I, but it's it's a uh, <laughs> it's sort of an important and from my point of view a complex question, uh, and uh, <clears throat> because it involves uh, transference, uh, you you have to transfer the the intent of what's called King George, which is actually the banks and the British East India Company, uh, and and then parse the the motivations and the objectives of, of the uh, Federalists and in, in the writing of that Constitution and implementation of it. So, uh, what they what what I will I will go to say what I'll say here is that uh, they uh, the Federalists wanted to take that business model and and then oversee it, administer it uh, for uh, their agenda and their objectives and uh, actually work in partnership. Um, I would say almost as a franchise with the British uh, or at least some parts of the the Federalists were working as a franchise with the uh, the Bank of England and uh, the federal, um, the East India Company to further a, a business model. Uh, of course, this is this is supported later judicially by Marbury versus Madison, when uh, the determination, uh, you know, go look it up people <laughs> not me in my opinion uh the uh the chief justice in his ruling who's uh, a very conflicted man uh states it's it's not what the constitution says it's the interpretation of the constitution and so they've been able to interpret it as a means to their end and uh, uh i think i'll leave that there so or is what you're trying to tell me, DW, is the Constitution is whatever the 
government clowns in black gowns says it is? Yes. According are you trying to, them. to are you According trying to, to tell me there's medicine? Yes. So you're trying to tell me there are no absolutes? No, it's uh it 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 always has been it was established as a government of implied powers. Uh, and and they're the arbitrators of their own implied powers that of that natural aristocracy that it, that have aspired and acquired those that class and status. Yeah, that's so you, who that think, is. Yeah. you think this might have inspired uh, Antonin Scalia, that great conservative icon? You think that might have inspired his statement in Heller versus D.C.? When he said that your rights are subject to reasonable restrictions by government, I think that that's just. I think that that is exactly just another uh, semantical restatement of what Marbury versus Madison was saying. Yeah, exactly hmm. that. Well, that that's a good one. I wish we could get into Marbury a little bit. You do know that Chief Justice John Marshall, who issued that order, should have disqualified himself for conflict of interest in that case, right? Well, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that. You know, he there. There's there's a lot of that that's gone on for uh, quite some time. Uh, well, who didn't who didn't to, deliver to, Marbury? To himself. So. <laughs> Who, yeah. who didn't deliver Marbury's appointment to the federal judgeship? Marshall. Uh, yeah, Marshall was Marshall. Secretary of State. He was Secretary of State then, yeah. And he didn't, he didn't deliver it. Marbury sues to get it, and John Marshall sits as Chief Justice. You people think this thing was ever I, intended to be legal from the very frickin' beginning? That's 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 kind of like putting Alan Dulles in charge of the uh, the, uh, Warren Commission. the assassination Warren investigation Commission. and yeah the Warren yeah. Commission that's that's exactly what that is right there so or or Kissinger they they want to put they want to put Heinrich Kissinger in charge of the 9/11 Commission you know so oh, how many people thing. know how many people know that was George W Bush's first choice Well, at, at least about 50 people here do now. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's hope so. At least we're having fun, guys. Uh, Cal, you want to jump in? Well, well, your first question, you know, is support of the Constitution and so-called Bill of Rights, a support of the Bank of England and the British East India Company, and yeah, because it was them or their agents that created the Constitution and forced it upon the people. Uh, that's why it was created. I mean, government is nothing more than herd management for the banksters. Any government. That's why they don't care what government it is. Whatever herd management you need to control your people, you put that in place and we'll take care of you. That's basically the message from the banksters to whoever's in charge of the governments. You keep your herd in, in line and you can do whatever you want. Just, you know... As long as we get our money and we're in control, we don't care what you do. That's basically what everybody's operating under, but everybody's worried about government. It's the banksters. 
they're running the show. Well, Mike, uh, Mike, Cal, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a very long history of a conscious effort to do this very thing. And, uh, it, it was, uh, articulated quite well and, uh, written down and expressed in, uh, in a book, uh, about, uh, 380, 400, 386, uh, BC, um, BC in the, um, in the Greek republics. And, uh, it was a book called, uh, uh, the Republic by Plato. I'm, I'm quite sure that part of the reading, uh, of library of many of these personalities we're talking about Jefferson, uh, the Federalists, so on and so forth. That was, that book was probably present in probably a majority of their libraries and they understood the, the practice of and, and the principles of government as Plato saw them and and the use of what's called the noble lie. And it's okay to lie. In other yeah, words, Plato. propagandize. Well, if it has I, a noble has a thing. noble intent. Oh, pardon me, uh, DW. I uh, I was just going to tell Jim Ram that I contacted the state of Georgia, and I told them that anytime they needed a nice rainstorm, make sure to coordinate it when I was on with Jim Ram. <laughs> because it's about to begin here, buddy. We're about to get that that uh, sound like we're in the shower again. Fire so up I'll, that metal roof. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll mute as much as I can because it's beginning to get. Uh, rather noisy here. Cal, go ahead. Uh, no, I just, yeah, something that sprung to my mind was, you know, was, you know, they throw around this word conservative and what does the term conservative means? And basically conservative means support of the Bank of England and the British East India mercantile system. So basically, that's what conservatism is, is support of the banks and the mercantile system. That's what it historically always been. So when somebody claims that they're a conservative, uh, you're, you're, you are a supporter of the exploitation of natural and human resources, irregardless of what damage you do to the natural resources or to the rights of the people who you're exploiting. Well, Cal, uh, you just brought up something very uh, poignant there, and uh, that is, uh, are you familiar with the five-volume set by Murray Rothbard titled Conceived in Liberty? I'm familiar with it. I haven't read it. I know that he uh, his last volume kind of set the whole libertarian world on edge or on their heads because he kind of condemned them, too. Yeah, he kind of he kind of made the wonderful people like uh, Professor Gutsman and uh, or Gutsman or whatever it is, and Tom Woods and all of these wonderful libertarians. He kind of tore their uh, playhouse down with Volume Five, and ironically, Volume Five was written in his shorthand, and it hadn't been published at his death. And so, of all things, the Mises Institute pay somebody it takes them a year 
to actually go through his notes and to compose volume five. In volume five, he exposes, well, he in one through four, he pretty well exposes the fraud that is the Constitution of America. But in uh, volume five, he really tears it up. And I think it would be tough for most people to read today, Cal, and I just thought of that. Uh, you know, it came from out of the blue. But I thought of that because of what you said about the use of the word conservative. Because throughout Murray Rothbard's works, he calls the Federalist the conservatives. And so in today's world, with the limited knowledge that most people have, if they were to go back and read those books, they would think that the conservatives were the good guys. And it's just what they were attempting to conserve was the realm of the Bank of London or Bank of England and the East India Company. And then again, as we got into uh, on Tuesday night, you know, one of the people who had made just a freaking fortune dealing with the East India Company and the Bank of London was none other than Robert Morris. And then Robert Morris was made the chief financier during the Revolutionary War, and he was given dictatorial powers. He could tell the Secretary of War what to do, and he did. He told the Secretary of War, hey, anytime you need war supplies, you buy them from me. This history, and I've said this on multiple occasions, guys, this history, you know, it should be a movie because if somebody could take this history and turn it into a movie, Bubus might actually watch it and learn something. But if it's going to be in a book or if it's going to be in source documents, the majority of the people in this country are never going to learn the truth. DW, I'll turn it over to you, buddy. Well, uh, yeah, well, I, I wouldn't expect that, uh, any producers and directors in uh, Hollywood are going to be jumping at that opportunity in any time in the near future. Uh, <laughs> that would, uh, that would be counter to their narrative that they've uh, been able to inculcate into the minds of uh, the last uh, five generations. So uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I think we, I think we've had a pretty good conversation on, on the uh, contradictions and using uh, Shays Rebellion and and uh, you know even the Whiskey Rebellion and that period of time and reflect and project uh, it into future events as a as a as a model of control and uh, uh, repetition. Of course, they always leverage technology and different personalities going forward, but the same formula is in process and uh, was utilized heavily in uh, the 1800s and definitely uh, through the uh, through the uh, 1900s, World War One, World War II. This is why Albert Pike had uh, the ability to be so uh, prophetic in his predictions as what would transpire uh, uh, 40, 50, and 60 years into the future. He was spot on. How did he know that? Because they understood the mechanisms of social control, uh, media, and um, 
the uh, the power of a a small group of people organized in a uh, at the time was a quasi secret society ability to affect these things. Uh, I just would remind people because uh, I think Albert Pike is uh, needs much more exposure <laughs> than what he's been Coverage. given. Uh, he. Uh, he, he's he's the grand poobah of the Scottish right, and uh, I'm going to put into context what you're seeing today was their uh, official motto of the Scottish right, which is order ab chaos, order out of chaos. That you're seeing the the harvest that what I would call the Marxist harvest of today for the seeds that they planted uh, through the last 200 years. This is the harvest. So that was kind of far and wide reaching, but we, we've hit the top of the hour here. So, Well, DW, before we finish that, there's one thing, uh, one point I want to make before we're able to open it up for discussion here. And that was considering that at the Whiskey Rebellion, when Washington was told that to take a military force into western Pennsylvania to enforce the whiskey tax was in fact unconstitutional. He was told that by Jefferson. He was told that by Madison. He was told that by his uh, Attorney General Edmund Randolph. And he was told that by Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, uh, John Jay, at the time. And he did it anyway. And when he did that, he appointed his Secretary of Treasury Alexander Hamilton to the rank of major general and head of the military force that went into Western Pennsylvania to impose penalties for refusing to go along with the whiskey tax. Hamilton's proposed penalty for avoiding to pay tax for the government was in fact the death penalty. And he ordered three leaders of the Whiskey Rebellion to be hanged. Now, Washington stepped in and countered that. But that is what these people believe. If you don't pay your taxes, you should die. And it hasn't changed. Well, well, we've hit the top to, of the arc. Yeah, Mike? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, just, just to buttress that a little bit. One of the uh, one of my used to be one of my favorite uh, personalities of that time, Samuel Adams, who uh, you know has just a fantastic quote about you know just just the introduction of it. If you love your wealth better than liberty, that that particular quote. Uh, one of the sons founders of the Sons of Liberty. Well, his, as as regards to Shays' Rebellion. His, his attitude and stated attitude on it was that these people ought to be uh, executed. The rebellious farmers ought to be executed. This is Samuel Adams. Well, he had become a Federalist by so, that time, and he had been made promises. Yeah. He had been promised certain things, he and John Hancock. John Hancock had been promised in Massachusetts 
that if Washington turned down the presidency, that John Hancock would be president. And that if Washington did not turn it down, John Hancock would be vice president. They got Hancock and Adams together to support ratification of the Constitution. And then once it was ratified, they told Hancock to take a hike. So it shows you what these people are about from the very beginning. Uh, Jim, we've kind of reached the top of the hour. Do we want to jump in for discussion here, buddy? We can open it up. If anybody on the board has any questions, feel free to unmute and jump in. If I may. Robert, go right oh, ahead. Oh, Roberto. Yeah, I have two items. Uh, Daryl, you mentioned a noble lie from uh, Plato. That was also the title of the documentary on the Oklahoma City bombing by um, Holland Van Deno, who I can't pronounce his name, but he was a former Marine that smelled something on the Oklahoma City bombing, did some research, said, hey, what is this? He said what they told us, and he made a film about it, and he called it a noble lie, and he explained the origin of it. So interesting that you bring that up. The other item is, um, Dr. Gaddy, you mentioned uh, Rothbard. Uh, Rothbard. Uh, what, did he also write about Lincoln back in the 1930s and 40s? I'm not sure, Robert. You've okay. piqued my interest, and I'll have to go check. But uh, okay. I am a I'm a very proud owner of all five volumes of Conceived in Liberty. And mm -hmm. people, if you want a concise education on the founding of America, you can find it right there in those five volumes. Of course, wow. it will probably interfere with your college football. So be careful. Yes, which does start this weekend. Thank you for mentioning that. In fact, Penn State plays Purdue tonight. <laughs> Wah, 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 wah. Wah, 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 wah. Is that Murr? Uh, that was me. Trusty oh, little button on my mixer. Okay. James, your timing was impeccable. I finally mm -hmm. thought of it. I had everything set and ready to go for once. <laughs> you guys are a hoot. Rim shot. Oh, this is so much fun. Guys, I tell you what. Jim, I can't thank you enough for these Thursdays. This is such a stress-relieving time, and it's so much fun to associate with your group that you've put together here. I, I just I, I look forward to it. I tell you, I really do. So do I. Thursdays are my favorite shows. I just love them. Have a great time. So do yeah. we. Just uh, glad to have you guys there, everybody. But especially uh, DW and Cal for joining us, too. That's uh, a, a real plus. Anybody Any else? Questions? Well, thanks, Jim. Sure. Uh, icing on the cake. Yeah, cream cheese icing. <laughs> the good stuff. Anyway. I have, to admit, I have to admit, Jim, I have never envisioned in my entire life DW as icing of any sort. Well, you know, now you've got a picture you can't get out of your head. <laughs> I don't know about anybody else, but this show is the cherry on my Sunday. These <laughs> all <laughs> examples of the man keeping us down. Oh, Brent. Oh, Brent's here. Hey, buddy. In the house. How you been? Oh, I've been. Been using my iTero wand. Yeehaw. Oh, you too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The whole goal is to have everybody here have one. <laughs> the one thing I have found, and I cannot thank Jim Ram enough 
for the iTerra Care. And the one thing I have found, other than several features, which Jim, I'll several results, which I'll talk to you about at a later time. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I have found is that uh, <laughs> we 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 become quite a select group. Uh, the iTerra Care. Uh, well, I. I don't want to branch into an iTerra care advertisement here, but uh, we'll do that at a later date. But let's get back to the Constitution, guys. <laughs> now you got everybody wondering what you're going to say. <laughs> oh, you think I did that uh, by accident? Oh, man, I'm telling you what. <laughs> All right, we'll save it for the end of the show. <laughs> Anybody else got any questions? Jump in. Oh, come on. Everybody else is asleep again. Well, I'll... The thing I was wondering about is, did the Itera Care make Brent pretty? Well, considering <laughs> our board is uh, audio only, and that's for good reason, because I've got a face for radio. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Brent, you'd have to tell that yourself, and I don't know if you're the one to make that a, jud- a judgment, adjudication or not. I was going to say that um, I have a face for radio probably also. You got a great voice for radio, so it just goes along with it. <laughs> That's for sure. I, well, we, we need a before and after comparison, you know. And uh, the uh, I'll I'll, uh, I'll try to put this back on the road a little bit here. One of the one of the statements that was made by George Washington. Uh, and, uh, and, and an attitude uh, uh, that was present was uh, his imperial dignity. And uh, he proclaimed on, on, uh, at different times the right to impose their will by their imperial dignity. Now, I don't know. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't seem to be in, uh, consistent with the philosophy Where'd you go? I got bumped off the uh, Jitsi board. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, rebooting, getting back in right now. Um, Jump on, Cal. Take us down the road no, here, Cal. Just, <laughs> uh, the words that Washington used was command obedience and assert their imperial dignity. Mm-hmm. He was speaking of Congress being able to lay taxes. Hmm. They sounds, had like, right. sounds like sounds like something King George would say. Oh, that is King George. Wait, yeah. which King George are we talking about here? King George yeah. on this side of the pond. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. King George the first, the American King George the mm-hmm. first. Yeah, that's how many? Uh, those were his words. How many people? No, sorry, Cal. How many people know that George Washington was an investor and a stockholder in the Bank of England? No surprise there. <laughs> so he profited from both sides of the war. Oh, absolutely. No wonder they wanted to go for two more years than what it should have. Of course, you know, so did the English side. I mean, you got to think about it. I mean, Cornwallis, I haven't done much research, but I'm pretty sure he was probably a stockholder in the Bank of England, too. So, <laughs> and a Mason, was was Cornwallis a Freemason? Yes, he was. Okay, okay. so these guys are actually just kind of sacrificing people to advance the agenda for their ultimate masters, the Bank of England. Are you trying to say, Cal, that the Revolutionary War was kind of like the, a wide world of wrestling match? 
Yeah, but except for it was they were actually killing people and and every time a, a cannonball went through George Washington's lines, Cornwallis and George Washington made money, and every time a cannonball went through Cornwallis's lines, George Washington and Cornwallis made money. So it was in their best benefit to just battle with each other. Is this why they didn't shoot and go after the officers? Is that why they had that standing gentleman's agreement back in that time not to go after the officers? Because ultimately the officers were all part of the same club, no matter what country they supposedly came from. All Freemasons. They're all Freemasons. So, And they don't have a loyalty to the country. They have a loyalty to themselves and to furthering their agenda, which is controlling money over people. Yeah. So that's basically what this revolutionary war and the foundation of this country was all about, which is to establish a firm foothold for the Bank of England and the British East India Company. I mean, you, you can notice it if you look at the similarities between the Betsy Ross flag and the British East India Company flag. I, similarities I are almost the same damn thing. Well, and then when you consider it was George Washington who was an investor and and Robert Morris, who was an investor and a primary trader with the British East India Company. Oh, yeah, Thorne Hamilton. He was part of it, too. But he wasn't part of the Betsy Ross flag. But there was those two people that designed the Betsy Ross flag. Wasn't it? And and one other. Not Thomas Willing, but his father-in-law or something. <laughs> uh, Betsy Ross's uncle. And they're all related, too. How is it they're all related? Or inbred or something. Uh, you threw out a name last week, uh, Bingham of New York, and I started looking him up, and he's like Thomas Willing's father-in-law. or No, Thomas Willing was his father-in-law, something like that. It just, it's just amazing. <laughs> All these ties that you're not told about. <clears throat> still... Hello? Uh-oh. Hello? Murr, is that you? Yeah, that's me. Good, Murr. Who oh, got, okay. A bunch of us got booted here. Did you get booted, Daryl Wayne? The whole thing I got, shut I down. I got booted off in the middle of my my blathering. Yeah. Or something. There was only 40-some of us, and I, I don't know if it dumped everybody and yeah. some came back or I think it whatever. did, and a lot of them just haven't hit the rejoin button. But uh, for you and Mike and Cal and anybody else, uh, you know, there was a movie, The Madness of George III. Really good costumes and stuff. But I just wondered how accurate it was and how that played into uh, America. Why America breaking away? So <laughs> with air quotes from Britain. Wow, this is so great. I don't think I could get by without a Thursday with the melodious, polkertudious tones of Mur Bailey. <laughs> Ooh, melodious, polkertudious? I think. <laughs> Is I that think Latin? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, couldn't, I couldn't help myself. Sorry, guys. I got to write that one down. Man, that's right up there with the uh, head with my chicken cut off. <laughs> <laughs> the melodious, polkertudious tones Ooh. of Miss Mur Bailey. Man, some adjectives there, boy. Twenty-seven dollar adjectives. <laughs> Twenty-seven fifty, Jim. 
Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, inflation is going up now. It's 30. <laughs> Do plus I hear 40? <laughs> plus tax. Plus tax, yes, plus tax. Oh, yeah, tax. can't forget that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, uh, just, hey, Mike? just, yes, sir. Jump in. You kind of, you kind of stopped in the middle of Shays' Rebellion. Were you planning on continuing? Oh yes, there will be more on Shays' Rebellion. Uh, uh, I just didn't want to make one whole program about one event. I wanted to kind of uh, tie in the relations, but uh, there, there is uh, quite a bit more. And uh, with Jim's indulgence, we will continue these series in the future. Definitely. I heard another talk show guy, and he was going on about Shay's Rebellion, and he was making Robert Morris out to be a hero because he died penniless or something. Of course he was. Every everything I've ever read about Robert Morris, except for except for Samuel Bryan, uh, points out the fact that the man was a freaking crook. But everything after that. Is revisionist history. That's why he has a monument in Chicago holding hands with George Washington and Haim Solomon. You and this is why this is. Pardon me. And D.W. brought this up last week. In a letter to Francis Hopkinson. In July of 1788. I'm sorry, 1789. Robert Morris tells Francis Hopkinson, if they pass the right amendment, I will hang for his embezzlement. The first thing he did to start the Bank of North America was he embezzled $280,000 of gold out of money that had been given from France to the United States for their war effort. And as chief financier, he takes $280,000, puts it into the Bank of North America, which was total and complete embezzlement. But then, to complicate his crime, he loans that $280,000 out to his fellow Federalists on the condition that they use that money to buy stock in the bank. So he and all of his friends had stock in the Bank of North America that they paid not a penny for because the money was embezzled by Morris. Of course, they don't want to say anything, but this guy's a hero. Sorry, I get pretty passionate about that. Well, Mike, you forgot to add on. Well, and then yeah, yeah. that embezzled money that the Congress borrowed from the Bank of North America was used to purchase war supplies from who other? William Robert Morris. Morris. At his price. Scam. Yeah. I mean, that's genius. <laughs> he got to set his prices. He set his own prices, and then he bought products from himself for the Army. The other thing that was amazing was that if he, in his shipping, when he was shipping war supplies to his own company, if they were confiscated by Britain, he charged the U.S. government for them anyway. So his company right. was had an insurance policy called the United States government. Yeah, the uh, uh, you know there's there's a for the for the gentleman that asked that question. You know there's there's several reasons why we do this, 
and uh, with with uh, Jim facilitating it on this platform here is that it allows us, as been described earlier, to we'll, we start a poker game using history chips. <laughs> I like that a lot. So Cal and I and Mike will, uh, well, we start this we start this poker game and lay out some chips and then hoping that you'll ante up and 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 get in the game with us and try to keep it at a pace where everybody has a voice and can get involved in the in the game and uh and i I find as an educator that over the years we go a lot faster by slowing things down a little bit and taking time with it and treating it with the uh the uh the importance that it is actually because it Everybody can't process information, particularly when, you know, you're trying to overcome the revisionist history and the indoctrination. You know, I, I, we all appreciate uh, what's been done. And uh, I, I just wanted to I just wanted to throw that out there. You well, know, that thanks for that. that we do thanks this for, that. for the people that are here here and listening. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for that, D.W. And, sir, you made the comment about someone on another talk show said that Marsh was a hero. Uh, and I understand that because they're pushing the Federalist narrative. They're pushing the constitutional worship. But was there did you have some other comment or some other input on that, sir? Didn't mean to cut you off. No, uh, um well, that was on Speak Free Radio, by the way, and <laughs> and uh, also on Speak Free. It may have been the same person. I don't know. But they also this guy also said that uh, he thought Alex Jones ought to be taken off the air. And this was on Speak Free Radio. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I tell you what, if John Kaminsky ever got anything right in his entire life, and I question that. If he ever got anything right was in his email that he sent out where he castigated me and Speak Free Radio and Paul English and said that it was not Speak Free Radio. It was Don't Speak Free Radio. Of course, he's still at Speak Free Radio. Well, I don't think it was John Kaminsky. It was somebody else. But, I mean, it just astounded me when they said that, you know. Oh, of course. They are pushing the British agenda. And Speak Free Radio is not. That's all I'll say. Well. I think think what I was out and most of the people will believe what they're told. When they when they make Robert Moore's out to be a hero, ninety percent plus people who hear that who don't know any different are just going to naturally believe that Robert Morris was some kind of a hero. And that's how their propaganda works. It's through the ignorance of the people. Well, if you accept the narrative yeah. that the Constitution was inspired by God and that the Constitution actually protects your rights. You cannot criticize Robert Morris. And you're breaking the first commandment. Absolutely. Shall have no other gods before me. But you know what? I was thinking how, just like today, people follow whatever's in the media. 
and acted out. They were doing the same thing back then. They had philosophers and they had they had plays, they had, you know, novels, and they were acting out the same same way they do today to cover so they didn't have to be real. <laughs> and and Daryl, I'm yeah. just gonna ask you, are you wearing your your um wireless headset? Yeah. Are you hearing too much? Well, I, I hear a little beep, and I was wondering because I know when, probably just a no. coincidence, but yeah, once my, my, my... The, the board went down when you were wearing that, and we got the beeps, and then the board went down, but it's just a coincidence, probably, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah. yeah. My, my battery is my battery my charged. Battery charged. Yeah. So, so. Wow, now you're distorted. Hmm. How about now? Can you hear me? Am I no, I don't okay? even know you who sound, you are. You sound good. You're sound good perfect. It's just this high-pitched beep okay. every now and then. I'm not sure where it was coming from. <clears throat> okay, well, listen, back on this propaganda, uh, how this work is, uh, here, here's a couple questions for everybody to ask themselves. You know, not, not for me to tell you, not to pontificate and, Here's here's what's happening. I'm not I'm not using that. I'm not doing that. Here's what you need to ask yourself. And and do it do it in private, okay? Are your thoughts your own? Are they really? Are your thoughts and what you believe are they really your own? How did you come how do you know what you know? And be honest with yourself. And, and I would suggest that all your thoughts on many of these important topics, all of your thoughts have been provided for you. Uh, DW, and can I kind of melt that you. down a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you have knowledge or do you have an opinion? That's, I think that's that the bottom easy. line. Yeah, reaction to yeah. whatever's being fed you. And th and that's what it is. We're feeding our minds, right? Like the old song goes. <laughs> but who are we letting feed our minds with what? Well, I, I believe that the majority of Americans do not have any knowledge. They have Their knowledge is at a very minuscule scale. What they do have is the opinions of other others, which they quote as knowledge. Because one of the things I've found in the last 30 years, when someone comes up with a statement, I ask them, what is the source of your belief? And I say it as a belief, and it comes out that it's an opinion because they don't have a source unless they will say, well, I read the book that was written by uh, you know so and so and I said well are you aware that he is an avowed Marxist well no I didn't know that well why didn't you why didn't you know that Eric Foner is proud of his communist his communist affiliation and he's written several history books so if you read him do you think as a communist he might have some bent or some agenda that he wants to follow and that is why a knowledge is so important is that knowledge you acquire for yourself and that is why when I, you know if when i do Ohio my class go ahead no sorry about that i was 
queuing something up and it uh, started playing automatically. Go ahead. Oh, okay. All right. If you, you know, I, I want everyone to have knowledge. That's why I begin every one of my in-person classes with the admonition, don't believe a thing I say. I'll tell you where to research it. Research it. Look at the source documents. Acquire knowledge that belongs to you. Because I don't want anyone to ever say, ever say well, uh, Getty said this. I don't want that. I never do. But if you want to say, Gaddy pointed me to this and I found this out, then that makes me very happy. But don't say, I don't want you to uh, regurgitate something that I have told you without verifying it yourself. That's knowledge. That's why, you know, I say we have to produce these source documents. And that's why I spend so much time and so much effort securing source documents. Because that's where the truth is. And my opinion is worth just exactly the same as everybody else's. Nothing. But knowledge, when you can take knowledge and you can produce it and you can show, here is where this was stated. Here is the source document. Here's where you can find it. But the thing I'm going to tell you is if you're going to base your knowledge on source documents, you better do it pretty darn quick because they are disappearing faster than a snowball in hell. Yeah, uh, Mike, uh, let, let me give the, everybody here a, a couple of examples that are happening right now of people that are extremely good at parsing the information and putting it into a context that will lead you astray in my opinion <laughs> uh, one of them is a as a young man from canada he's extremely well spoken very articulate uh erudite in his vast knowledge and study of history his name is matthew Eret, and uh him and his wife a, Ch a chinese woman uh, runs several websites and are on many shows and interviews talking about history and they attack the system uh, much in the same way that we're motivated to address the system. And he's very interesting to listen to. And then you get down to the found, if you listen to him long enough, you get down to the foundations and principles about which he, he draws conclusions from. And he is a, a, uh, supporter and advocate of Alexander Hamilton. He supports uh, the actions and the motivations of an Abraham Lincoln and uh, and makes uh, very strong and uh, what I would call specious arguments to support that. But if you just listen to him casually, you'll you have to be very careful with with the conclusions that he draws. Another one is uh, LaRouche Pack and Harley Schlanger and this whole group. Uh, they are highly supportive of the principles of a one Alexander Hamilton and Abraham Lincoln and the system that came out of that. And so these are just two examples 
of some very sophisticated, well-spoken people uh, that uh, you, you have to know what their agenda is. And, and so when you listen to these people, I, I would say you should do so very objectively and, and challenge them to their source documents. So... Can I jump in there for a second? I want I when uh, Daryl, when you were talking about the uh, uh, the thoughts are not your own and all that kind of stuff, it spurred something. I remembered a TV show from 1961. This is the intro for that show. See if it makes any sense, and see if you remember. Well, it'll tell you the name of it, but see if you remember before then. There is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. The outer we limits. Are controlling transmission. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. Brent gets the Cupid doll. Wow. <laughs> wow. That, does that kind of ring true Jim, what you're I, saying? I, you started to play that, and I was standing here, and I actually I started to get vertigo. I had to go sit down. <laughs> I was, my head was spinning. It, uh, it took me right back to my old living room in the old house I lived in in 1961. <laughs> guys, there is a reason I called that thing the lobotomy box back years ago. Yep. Anyway, well, I just wanted to throw that in. They were nuclear back in 1961, didn't they? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, see, one of the things I found in my time with the No Such Agency is when you deal with some of these sociopaths, some of these psychopaths, there is nothing they enjoy more than telling you the truth and rubbing your nose in it. Gives new meaning to the term previews of coming attractions. Yes, exactly. They love to actually tell you the truth. How many times have they done that? One of the things they love to do is they love to do it through the media. And then I they mean, laugh they could, when people just sit there and think it's just entertainment. Oh, that, that it, couldn't be real. <laughs> exactly. Think about The Matrix. Mm -hmm. Think about that series. Think about Enemy of the State with Will what, Smith, Smith or whatever his yep. name was. They love to yeah. say, okay, here's what we're going to do with you, dummy. Enjoy it. Well, uh, let me support this a little bit, how far back this goes. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, if you'll give me just a moment here and I have it in front of me, I'll read you a little quote out of a book uh, that was written in 1954 by Jacques Ellul. He's a World War II uh, PSYOP agent. And uh, one of the names that you've never heard of, but he says this, he goes uh, in his, uh, in his 450 page book here, he says, uh, there is no such thing as a collective critical faculty. Because techniques act upon men collectively, the passions it provokes, which exist in everybody, are amplified. The suppression of critical faculty 
man's growing incapacity to distinguish truth from falsehood, the individual from the collectivity, action from talk, reality from statistics, and so on, is one of the most evident results of the technical power of propaganda. Human intelligence cannot resist propaganda's manipulation of its subconscious. Uh, he also goes on to say that the human psyche can, does not have the ability to defend itself from propaganda. Uh, he's not doing this to warn you. This is an insider's book on on the processes of the scientific technique on how to use mask control to create the mass man, which is what we're observing right now. This is this is uh, how they create mass psychosis formation before this guy started talking about it last year. <laughs> this has been known a long time. So. Well, you know, in 1961, you were talking about that was the Milgram experiment, which was a predetermined outcome and people, everything with it. And the reason for it was the Eichmann trial the year before. They had to gin people up to think that people in general are evil. And so this is what they then put on the Germans that they called Nazis, right? That they were evil to the core because everyone's evil to the core. Sure, we're sinners. We're born into the world sinners, but we're not evil to the core. So... And then Zimbardo did something similar with the Stanford prison uh, experiment. But just like with George Washington there, um, Merka was asking in the chat about others being with him and all that. The thing is, as evil as these people are, once in a while they'll do something kind of good. So then you want to back them. Yeah. Then you want to back them. It's just a ploy. It's like a cat and mouse game, like Harold Wallace Rosenthal said, you know? Well, Mert, you have to bait your hook. You have to put something good on the hook to make people bite it so they'll be trapped. So yeah. there has to be some good in the theory. But you guys mentioned 1961. Let's jump ahead 20 years to the world-famous comment, we will know our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false. Yep. CIA director... William Casey. Now, do you think he said that for entertainment? Or was that of here, we're about to rub your nose in it, sucker? That was his mission statement for the yes. CIA in the cabinet. Exactly. To Reagan. That was his mission statement. And uh, Barbara Honiger, I guess, uh, was taken shorthand and wrote it down. It was a spell she, that was spoken over us that became a spell that did everything he wanted. Well, but today, stop and think about it. How many Americans actually believe, oh, Jim, there it comes, buddy. You hear that rain? Uh, Baby. But the thing about it is, is that most Americans, when they turn on that boob tube, everything that comes out of the mouth of Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, or whoever they're, or, you know, what's her face, uh, the weirdo from uh, MSNBC, PMS, NBC, I'm sorry, uh, Rachel Maddow, uh, you know, whatever comes out of their mouths, people take that as gospel truth because they saw it on TV. And like Daryl read there, and you all well know, 
your subconscious cannot resist that conditioning. People will, will no. watch stuff and say, oh, I can stand it. I know. I, you know, but yet they're telling you here, you need to watch this movie over and over again. Why are they doing that? Because it's stuck in their head. And I make RBN hosts in particular angry because I'll keep bringing that up. <laughs> Tears amazing. Um, like to, uh, Remind you people, uh, if you're not aware of it, uh, this was a 50s experiment, I believe. Uh, I'd have to check my my records, but they uh, it was part of the MK Ultra program where they um, programmed this one secretary to uh, pull a gun and shoot the other secretary on you know predetermined command and. Uh, she didn't hesitate whatsoever. She pulled it out and just pulled the trigger, pulled the trigger, pulled the trigger. Of course, the, it was empty. They were just trying to prove that two people who were the best of friends and, um, you know, loved each other uh, would turn it on each other at the snap of a finger. And, um, you know, that's 50s era technology. So you can imagine in, um, that many decades later, what they can now do through, you know, Talmud vision and so on and so forth. I uh, just wanted to throw that out there. If you weren't aware of that experiment, I'll dig it up and find out more detail. No, great addition. Great addition. Thank you. That came out. That was very uh, much published uh, through the MK Ultra program. And they did that uh, with, the, as you said, people who knew each other, who really cared about each other. And they had been indoctrinated to the point that the order was given through a phone call. They had videotape up at that time, as primitive as it was. They had videotape up. They called the subject, gave the code on, and this this was destroyed by the CIA uh, back when they were first called in on MK Ultra. But they actually had it on tape of the lady. Uh, getting the command on the telephone, going over to a desk, pulling out the desk, taking out a uh, semi-automatic pistol, and then shooting, kept pulling the trigger, as you stated correctly, kept pulling the trigger, even though there was no live rounds in there, but it was a test to see if one person could be programmed to kill their best friend. Sort of like Manchurian Connection, or Candidate. Very much so. Yeah. Very and much I, so. Yeah. <clears throat> Yesterday at my um, mobile home park office, they threw out a bunch of books they had, you know, for sharing in the community. And I found one called The Riot Makers, The Technology of Ooh. Social Demolition, written in Ooh. 70. Oh, you're going to love that one, Brent. Yeah, it's by Eugene H. Methven. Are you aware? Oh, I've been of, looking for that. I'm so glad you found my book. <laughs> are you are you aware of the background of that author, sir? I was going to ask you. Well, I'm going to leave that for your research, and then let's talk about it. Because again, I don't want anybody saying, "Well, Getty said so so." Uh, you look at that, Brent, and then I would enjoy. Uh, let's get together on a telephone conversation and discuss that after you do a little research. Okay. Hey, Mark. Yes, sir. Um, sorry, Brent. Didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, um, no problem. 
Uh, Mike, you probably remember, but I think shortly after TV came out, a group of doctors, scientists got some volunteers and they hooked them up, uh, put electrodes on their heads and they subject, subjected them to various stimuli and measured their brain activity. And they had them read, they had them listen to music, you know, various stuff, measured their activity and it was generally high. And then they put a TV in front of them and had them watch it. And within like two minutes, their brain activity went to almost zero. And who conducted that experiment? I, I remember reading it about 10 or 12 years ago on a website somewhere, but that, it just was, hit me like a ton of bricks. That was conducted that by Dr. The, Jose Delgado's experiments or Dr. Igor Browning. Yes, and that was the precursor to uh, the experiments held by none other than DARPA. Uh, ARPA at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, it, uh, they've changed the nomenclature on a couple of occasions, but it was, the, as I said, it was the precursor to what we now call DARPA. Oh, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. Yes, sir. Uh, but that's, that's the one uh, I enjoy telling people about is that, um, well, Jose Delgado was the guy who put the electrodes in the brain of the charging bull, and he'd push a button and it would stop right in front of him. That's the short version. He did many other things with cats and monkeys. But um, Dr. Browning um, put him into a donkey's head, into the hypothalamus. And this donkey went all the way up this mountain in New Mexico and then came back down exactly as they had programmed him by uh, these electrodes were causing the sensation of 20 full-blown orgasms going off simultaneously. And every time he would deviate off the trail, the signal would go away. And so the article commented saying you never saw a donkey so eager to stay on path. And it did exactly what they wanted to by remote control, by the stimulus. And again, this is, you know, 50s era technology, which now can be done without uh, implanting any electrodes, especially if you've pumped them full of uh, self-replicating nanobots, um, creating circuits inside of the person. Um, but, uh, um, the other thing I like to bring up and mention if people haven't seen it is Natalie Wood's last movie called brainstorm. And, yes. um, uh, very interesting watch in, in light of this conversation, especially since, um, they no longer need the helmet anymore um but i yield thank you well let's not forget excellent comment thank you so very much for that but let's not forget when mk ultra uh, and the uh, cia and all of their mind control programs decided that the electrodes were not applicable anymore so they decided to ingest the element and they used d-lysergic acid diethylamide which uh, became uh, commonly known as LSD. And they found that by different doses, and they actually had a CIA agent who was ready to blow the whistle on what they were doing with that exercise, so they threw him out of a seven-story window. Was that the guy in France, Frank something? Mm, I don't think it was in France. Okay. Let's, not forget, let's, not forget, let's not forget Forrestal, too. Let's not forget uh, what they yeah. did to Forrest. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. Well, would, um, um, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, uh, Julian Huxley back in the 40s uh, was a uh, facilitator and proponent of this whole MK Ultra, along with his brother Aldous. Uh, the, uh, the the generational progression of this technology of MK Ultra, it's important for everybody to realize it's never stopped. It has to this very day. It has never stopped. Uh, Amen. A, a, a good a, a later. A later on expression of this is uh, the 22-year-old uh, Sirhan Sirhan, as he was triggered by the woman in the uh, uh, polka dot dress uh, to uh, assassinate Robert Kennedy. Uh, this this was a this was a Manchurian Manchurian candidate at MK Ultra. Uh, Robert Kennedy interviewed Sirhan at great length on several occasions and came away saying. Uh, this man did not kill my father. Uh, so the the expression of this now, the technology, as, as Ken, I think it was Ken referred to it, is now to be found um, in this, uh, this injection, uh, 5G, and uh, the technology that was funded by Fauci and... Uh, uh, John Hopkins is involved. Uh, many players are involved. And this guy's name is Charles Lieber. And this name has disappeared from the, into the memory hole for most people as he's in protective custody. Charles Lieber, a, a Jew, uh, uh, created... Never and, would have guessed uh, that. Uh, refi refined, refined the technology of of uh, this nanotechnology, <laughs> computer nanochip technology with brain interface. Through, and there's another uh, one. Through Wuhan. Uh, Robert yeah. Langer at MIT with polymers. So he's right in yeah. there too, but he never was arrested. Yeah. And I posted so, so this it is, here. This is oh. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. I'm Go sorry. Ahead. I interrupted enough. I'll, I'll just have to remember what I was going to say. No, Go. Go, let's do it. Miles Mathis. Now, a lot of people, you know, he always says it's his opinion or if he has guest writers or whatever. But it's well worth digging into to see just how deep the bunny holes go. You know, like with Natalie Wood. Uh, you know, her last movie, but, you know, another fake death, apparently. So, and like with JFK, he wasn't at all who we were told he was, you know. So, I, I mean, it's just, a, it's so much deeper. Robert Kennedy Jr., I heard him talking um, recently, and someone was interviewing about his father's death, and he, and anytime it got close to the deep state, he was in total denial. I, I was just flabbergasted. Well, folks, let's, uh, let's uh, tie in a little bit of current stuff here. There was a group of people, especially some of them were some well-heeled, if I can use that expression, attorneys in the state of California several years ago, got together and went through, took over 18 months to do it, went through all of the evidence of the assassination of RFK, allegedly by Sirhan Sirhan, got all of the evidence together and appealed 
to the state of California for a new trial. And in this uh, presentation, they listed some of their evidence, which was overwhelming. And so this, at that time, was left in the hands of the attorney general for the state of California, who happened to be Kamala Harris. She denied a new trial. And not too long after that, she became a presidential candidate who got absolutely zero support, but she still ended up as vice president. You get awarded for doing these things for the government, just like Brett Kavanaugh, who covered up the, the murder of Vince Foster for the Clintons, became a chief, uh, not chief justice, became a U.S. Supreme Court justice. These people are rewarded if they stand by the government. And so there we have Kamala Harris and Brent Kavanaugh, both who covered up heinous crimes by the government and look at their rewards. And with Kavanaugh, apparently there's some real theater going on there. Whoever the woman was, we never hear about her again, ever, right? Right, yeah, she, uh, that was a complete allegation, but look what it did, Murr. It, oh, yeah. It just absolutely galvanized the conservative element in America because all you had to do was say something about someone and make sure a Democrat said it, and every Republican will have a wet dream supporting them. I mean, I've seen it broken down where... You know, neither of them were in the same room at the same time. They weren't in the courtroom at the same time. He looked awful oh, nice exactly. and fresh and cleaned Imagine up. That. And she looks very much like him in drag, if you get into analyzing it. Oh, yes. It's, it's just absolutely amazing. But here's the point I made on Telegram today. I had someone ask me when I told them, you know, this thing is just totally corrupt. It is absolutely unfathomable that you think you can save this system with a magic bean somewhere. And someone says, well, what do you propose we do? What is your solution? I don't offer solutions. I'm not in the solution business. But if you want to know what other people have done in history when confronted with the same demons, Go check history. Find out what worked and didn't work. That will give you a roadmap to figure it out. I'm not going to tell you go do this or go do that. No one would love that more than my friend yes. in the uh, in the three-letter agencies. Nobody would love anything more than for me to tell somebody, here's how you take back your country. I'm not going to do that. It's not my responsibility. And that's why I came up with that meme today. Where I said, uh, you know, and I don't know how many people will understand this. Probably most of them won't. But I came out with a simple meme. I sent it to you, Jim. And it was, honey, I broke the government. Can you please find somebody to fix it? I can't right now because there's, there's a big game coming up on TV. I'd like to shrink it. You do right. what you <clears throat> like, oh, well. lady of melodious, pulchritudious tones. <laughs> I, uh, I, would, to look up I was considering words. this the other <laughs> I was I was considering this, uh, Mike, the other day, and uh, somebody asked me a similar question. And I says, well, how is it you suppose that I can give you a blueprint of taking back your country and unwinding, unwinding 
the totality of the psychic energy, physical destruction of the last hundred years and do that over the next 10 months without causing you any harm or injury. How uh, that you're asking for something pretty big. Okay. How, how, how do you unwind this over, uh, just say the next 10 months, how do you unwind a hundred years, uh, just a hundred years of it? How do you do that? Well, you, you're, you're not going to. Well, DW, break it down even finer. Uh, I did, I did this to a guy the other day and a guy asked me, he said, well, what's your proposal? How are you going to fix this? And I said, Oh, damn, you want me to fix something that you've spent the better part of your life destroying and you want me to fix it this afternoon? Well, right. Mike, you have suggested I, uh, that we dis Go ahead, Robert. Just real quick. Mike, you have suggested we simply disengage, and I agree. Just disengage. Just get out of it. Well, I've tried to break that down yeah. to an analogy. If you find, if you go to Vegas, and Robert, you've been there. Yes. If you go, or Reno, where you're, where you're at now. If you go down to the casino and you get into a card game, and you see that it's crooked and you're about to lose your entire fortune, not only yours, but everything your children will have, would you stay there and try to fix the game or would you get the hell out? I'd get the hell out. That's the simplicity yeah. of the situation. Yes. I, uh, I'll share this little analogy here, is that particularly in our generation, we've had a, a generation of people who have spent their entire life climbing the ladder of success and in fact did it. They climbed the ladder of success and they get to the top rung and they look around and then they find they're on the wrong wall. Now what do they do? Blame somebody else. Uh, I guess, yeah. Hey, I have a question real quick and it might require another show. What happened to the progeny of these traitorous families like the Morrises and what have you? Because they had kids, grandkids, and everything else. What are they doing to us now? Oh, my goodness, Brent. Oh, what a suggestion, buddy. I would love to jump on, jump on that like a chicken on a June bug. Bingo. But you're right. It would take another program. Hey, Mike, speaking of memes, um, I just made one up this morning. I put in chat there for you. Um, it basically says just because we've always done it that way doesn't make it right. It makes you a habitual offender. Oh, I love it. I see it. <laughs> well, you're pretty good with that graphic stuff. Why don't you take my uh, uh, thing about, uh, honey, I broke the country and make I'll me a meme out of that. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> and well, that one for that, anybody buddy. that wants it is on my Telegram channel. Just look for Jean-Luc Picard. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Jim. Every, even a blind a blind uh, hog can rustle up an acorn once in a while. Or a blind squirrel. There you go. All righty. Well, let's see. We're down to, oh, my goodness, just a few seconds. How can people get more Mike Gaddy? Uh, you know, shoot yourself. Uh, no. uh <laughs> <laughs> Or less. <laughs> or less. Yeah, guys. Uh, less you know, is uh, we easy. Have that, <laughs> we have that Telegram channel. We're having a great time on that. Uh, DW and Cal and I will be on with Andrew Carrington Hitchcock, providing that another sense 
Walker doesn't jump in and stop that one. Uh, you know, sometime I'm also on a monthly program with uh, uh, Stephen uh, Whitener on uh, uh, RBN, and uh, and I am looking at a venture full in the face. We talked about it for an hour and a half today. I may have another platform very shortly for Whistling Dixie, guys. Cool. Awesome. Got to love that. Well, definitely uh, keep us advised on how that one goes out. And Are uh, you whistling? Anyway. Okay. Anyway. We are out of time. Again, thanks, DW. Thanks, uh, Cal. Thanks, Mike, and everybody else for being here. We appreciate it so much. All Thursdays are always wonderful. Take care of your bodies because it's the only place you have to live. And uh, just be yourself because everybody else is taken. We'll see you on Monday. Take care. Have a wonderful weekend. God bless. Hey, God bless. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate it, Jim. You guys have a wonderful weekend. You too. You too, Doctor.